the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is in And a good and blessed Triodian to you all, as we said last night. Thank you. Good Triodian. We talked about what the Triodian was, I think, last week. And here we are through, all the way through um, the season of Great Lent, we'll be hearing the hymns of that sacred book, the Lenten Triodian. And we still have a couple of copies in the bookstore. And it's available pretty much anywhere you can buy books these days. I encourage you to have a copy. And not just think about reading it, but give it a little time. Give it a little airtime in your mind. This is one of the several Sundays of preparation preceding Great Lent, as we know. And we read the parable of the prodigal son. You guys know how many more Sundays until Great Lent begins? Between now and Great Lent? Two more. Two more. We could say of today's parable that it reveals the whole reason Christ became man. What man's fall is. What the work of the church is. And how one can be saved. We don't have time to go through everything in full today. But the theme of return has always been with me through the years considering this parable theme of return. And so I offer a little reflection on the subject of return today. A simple affirmation that in Christ, we're back into return. Not by coercion, but rather by way of self-realization, which leads to repentance. You'll see a continuation of this theme throughout the season. We spoke on these kinds of topics last week as well. Christ, in the beginning of his ministry, as we know, he beckons all who would hear repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We heard that gospel reading on the Sunday after Theophany. We talked about going back to basics. What is repentance? And he was bearing witness to this kingdom that always has been. Certainly it didn't go away or disappear kingdom of God, this kingdom which always will be. It's always profound to consider that the ministry of Christ began with the call to repentance. In his wisdom and knowledge of humanity, Christ has spoken to us by way of coming down to us. He descended to be among us. He spoke and lived and died and rose again so, so as to lift us up so that humanity might find its rebirth, its resurrection, its new beginning in Him. He provides both the means of salvation and the end, all in this one statement, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This starting point of His ministry reveals the vocation, the calling of humanity. Our calling is to come forth from where we are, always to come forth from where we are and always to return a theme that's also present in today's gospel reading. And we've been endlessly emphasizing that the Lord often spoke in parables. It's important to be, continue to be aware of this fact and to always consider the fact of, of um, how parables were employed and that a parable is, um, to add another twist, we've said it's a story to teach a lesson. But I like 
this idea. In that it's a story, it's something creative. Christ was being creative in his uh, storytelling and in his teaching. So we might refer to a parable as a narrative or a story created by the Creator to communicate the manner in which we are to be recreated. And that's precisely what takes place in today's story. A parable teaches a lesson and the Lord reveals us to ourselves. Should we, we, we be willing to hear and understand? The story for today is often referred to that, of that as the prodigal son. But um, there are other characters involved. Sometimes it's referred to as the parable of the loving father or the elder brother as well. The loving father really actually is the, the key, the main character of, the, of this story. But we can usually relate to the prodigal son more quickly. It's rich with themes, including exile and repentance of the younger son, the unconditional love of the father. We can identify with maybe the confusion, but also the hard-heartedness of the older brother. Today we'll focus on the first of the three. I keep mentioning that the Gospels are a mirror set before us, that this is our our hermeneutic, this is our approach to reading and interpreting the Scriptures, as if looking into a mirror. To see the reflection in a mirror, though, what do you have to do? To see a reflection in the mirror? You have to look in the mirror. You have to look into the mirror. And so if the Gospel is a mirror to us of our humanity, for us to see ourselves as we are, then we actually have to Look into the scriptures, look into the gospel and read them. If we're not reading the gospels daily, we are starving. We're starving and we're trying to feed that starvation with other things. But the nourishment that we need is there. And the mirror that we need to look into is in the Holy Scriptures. Right there in the gospel. Right there in the gospel. So today, again, we look as into a mirror, fixing our eyes upon a mirror set before us by the Lord. First in this story, we'll see, we'll turn away from our own reflection as we identify with the prodigal son who leaves his home. Then we'll discover it, our reflection, in the filth and brokenness of its condition. And then we'll come to discover the image that's even beyond the reflection That's the very image of God impressed upon us. When we learn to see not the superficial reflection, but a living icon that knows itself, not in and of itself. Our goal isn't to know ourselves in and of ourselves, but to become and to see a living icon that can only know itself by way of coming to know God. The story moves along fairly quickly at the beginning. The youngest son discovers the greatest gift of the father to himself. Not that of his physical inheritance, but that of his free will. And he asserts it as his very own by demanding independence. I want my stuff, but not just I want my stuff, but I want to do with it what I want to do with it. It's interesting to consider that this independence that the son 
exercised or wanted to was not truly received until it was allowed by the Father. Even that which we think is our own has only really truly been given to us. That's really humbling for us to understand. And certainly the Father did not want to see His Son go. It's hard enough when, you, when your kids are going to do something good and they leave. Let alone they say, I want what's mine despite you. I'm out of here. So certainly the Father didn't want to see His Son go, but He did not prevent His departure. The Son, whose identity is that of being a Son of the Father turned away from this first reflection of his self, that of being the son of a father. And he retreated from a certain perception of his self to set out as if one unbound, putting this great gift of free will to use, exercising it freely, and surely enjoying himself for a time. Who, who among us hasn't enjoyed the momentary rush of excitement that comes from disobeying our parents. The regret is usually, and the shame that come after the disobedience are usually stronger than the the rush of excitement and joy that, that we experienced at first. But then we see that this kind of freedom does not result in more freedom and greater independence, but ultimately leads to captivity, enslavement to the passions, sins. The man who so desperately wanted to know himself just by being himself lost himself. No longer had control of himself and become full, became fully subjected to corruption. This is what the fathers call captivity to the passions. By way of ignorance, he was brought to despair. The despair of knowing that I need We talked about this I need last week too. He came to the despair of knowing that I need and need in this parable is presented as the desire for simple nourishment even. I just need food. You know, he came to that simple helpless realization that I need not just my own independence or to do what I want, but just food. I need, but I cannot obtain. Who on earth can attain to any seemingly greater achievement than that of being his own master? But he realized by trying to be his own master, he became a slave to the passions. So the son got what he truly wanted without realizing it. You've probably heard me say, and I'll say it again many times, we get what we want. We get what we want. This is kind of a scary statement. We don't get what we think we want, but oftentimes we get what we truly want. And so here, he wanted freedom, he wanted independence, he wanted individuality, He wanted his way. He got what he wanted. And he realized he lost his identity in the midst of that process. So then something happened from within the darkness of captivity. 
of enslavement to the passions and simple necessity. He remembered his father's house, which of course represents the kingdom of God, the eternal provision of the father, the eternal presence of God, the place where the kiss and embrace can be received from the only one who knows us better than we know ourselves and who loves us more than we can comprehend. The son deemed himself unworthy even of his own true identity at this point. Not even worthy of my true identity, that of being a son of the father. When he came to this realization, it it was as if he was saying, let me become less than who I truly am. And I will still have more than I need. Humility. He demonstrated true humility and repentance when he discovered this second reflection in the mirror of his self-understanding. And it seems to me that honest self-realization is synonymous with repentance. It leads us home to the right hand of God that upholds us, as the psalmist says. If we will arise from the condition of want and return to the Father, if we will return to the one needful thing, Honest self-examination brings us to the conclusion that we have no personhood apart from having been given life. That even the chief among sinners has no life apart from God. The return to the eternal embrace of God. This is the return to the place of life and belonging. The theme of return reminds me of a, a passage from the prophecy of Isaiah you know, Isaiah, is, in the writings of the fathers, is referred to as the, uh, the fifth gospel. The fifth gospel, Isaiah. And during the season of Great Lent, actually, it's prescribed reading throughout the entire season of Lent, that fifth gospel of Isaiah. And when I'm thinking of, of return, I'm particularly thinking of this passage from Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them and our God as our God for he will abundantly pardon. As for us, All of these types of challenges always beg the question, when is the time for us to break away from our sin and return to the Father? I read a quotation this week. Oh, I put put it out in our mailing list. I revisited this week. I think I put it out a couple weeks ago and it went something like this. We, while we should be those who are longing for the house of the Father, The people of today rather say, I will repent tomorrow. But what we're challenged with is that very question, when should I repent? Should I repent tomorrow? Or should I do it now? And repentance is continual. It really is. 
if you catch yourself saying, I probably shouldn't be doing this at any given time, then you don't have to keep doing it. Stop. I shouldn't be watching this show. Turn it off. I shouldn't be talking. I should not be having this conversation at work with someone. It may be really weird, but I mean, you might just have to cut it off. You know what? I shouldn't be talking about this. When your mind is going somewhere, like we said last night, you, you force your mind into the prayers. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And you force your mind where your mouth is on words crying out to God. In fact, the only time we can repent or we can change is, is right now, in the moment. We're always being forced into moments of crisis. And we always have the freedom to choose. Now, God does allow us to fail at times so that we can learn from our failures. So that we can be humbled, but not just to say, that's who I am. I'm just messed up. But so that we can try to do better next time. So that we can exercise our ability to truly repent in the moment and be more Christ-like. So we know the answer to the question, when should I begin? Now. And if you're really struggling with something, in the moment, you're feeling that tension, like the fires of Hades are starting to crackle at your feet and burn the soles of your shoes, and you kind of like it for some strange way, and you need help out, dial my phone number. Send me a message. Seriously, you're not in this alone. But don't play games anymore. Right now, we can do it. Likewise, You've probably heard me say, if you feel compelled to do something good, then do it. Just like we shouldn't say, I'll repent tomorrow. Likewise, we shouldn't say, I'll pray tomorrow. Or I'll do what I should do tomorrow. That doesn't mean we can do everything all at once, okay? But pray now. I'm going to start a prayer rule tomorrow or next week. I'll wait till Great Lent begins. Great Lent may never come. There's nothing magical about tomorrow. There's everything magical, you could say, sacramental and powerful about this very moment. This moment right now. So my claim is that the only time, the only suitable moment for such a return is right now, this very moment. Our opportunity for repentance is, is limited. And only before the return of Christ is he to be found. God is love and grants all the freedom to love and to be loved. Just as he lets us go of our own accord, so he receives us into his arms, all who would return. And all may now return to the place from where they were truly born. This is true and this we know. In the words of St. Paul, in the epistle to the Ephesians, he says, Gentiles, that's to say all people, have become, become fellow heirs, members of the same body, sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And in today's reading, excuse me, not today's reading, in another, in the epistle from uh, 1 Corinthians, 
Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? What you have from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to God. Only by Christ may we gain pardon from the shame of life and from wrath and disobedience. The call of the prophet is the call unto life as it was created to be. By God's gracious renewal, by his bearing of our burdens, this is God's call to us. Return, come back, be with me, spend time with me. I love you and I know you. And I want to know you more. We only find life in its fullness when we return to the very source of being, God. We find ourselves again subject to the paradox of Christian existence, the paradox of truth. Newness is found in returning to the old. Newness is found in returning to the timeless. And we must return. So when we return as the prodigal who's presented to us by Christ as an image of ourselves, we're met by our Father. And we finally come to see ourselves as we truly are. We glimpse back into the mirror and finally see that image beyond the image and come to understand that there's no self-realization apart from the realization of God. How do we do this? We talked about silence and self-examination last week. And I want to give you just a quick general summary. We do it by applying to our lives the themes that are presented to us during the Sundays of preparation for Great Lent. We make our own the eager expectation and intense desire of Zacchaeus. We do it by having bold faith in the Lord like the Canaanite woman, trusting in his healing ability. And by genuinely praying in repentance, the prayer of the publican saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And today, let us come to ourselves, come to ourselves and arise as the prodigal and return to the embrace of the father. Let us shed tears by way of fasting. Let us shed tears by way of fasting said one of the hymns of Vespers last week. Let us shed tears by way of fasting and let us seek God fervently by searching the scriptures daily, by attending the the healing and God-revealing services of the church, by loving one another, actively loving others, that we may present ourselves well and without excuse before the dread judgment seat of Christ having discovered the image of God, not only in ourselves, but also in others. Let us return. And by grace, invite others to return as well. Amen.